Hello and welcome to HIV Matters Podcast. My name is Michelle Croston and as your host I will be facilitating interesting conversations with leading experts in the field of HIV care. The conversations will be centred around exploring ways to improve quality of life for people living with HIV. Throughout my career I've always had a keen interest in any initiatives to improve outcomes for people living with HIV which has led me to work with a variety of different organisations, with different healthcare professionals and activists. Here at HIV Matters, we hope to use our unique perspectives and platforms to improve knowledge and understanding with regards to HIV. In order to do this, we will engage in conversations with people living with HIV, people who have worked in the HIV sector, and sometimes a mixture of both. We hope you enjoy the episode, and if you have any ideas or questions on this or future episodes, please contact us at hello at hivmatters.co.uk. You can also follow us on Instagram at hivmatterspodcast, or visit our website at www.hivmatterspodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and comment on our show. Today I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Naomi Sutton. Naomi has been working as a consultant within the Rotherham Sexual Health Services since 2016. Throughout Naomi's career, she's developed a passion for education and raising awareness for sexual health. Naomi enjoys her role as the FSRH Training Programme Director, as well as regular commitments to teaching other healthcare professionals and lecturing at conferences around sexual health and raising awareness for this important topic. Naomi is also a TV doctor who has worked on E4s at the sex clinic and also appeared on C4's Steph's Pack Lunch, talking frankly and honestly about vulvas, sex in old age, HIV and other sexual health subjects. Naomi is also a proud trustee for the charity Saving Lives UK and an ambassador for both the Eve Appeal and the Family Planning Association. More recently, Naomi has been working closely with the charity You Before Two to develop sex education material for use in schools, which have now recently been launched with PSHE accreditation. So it gives me great pleasure to have this conversation with Naomi today around sexual pleasure. Naomi, you are very welcome on HIV Matters today. So today I'm being joined on the HIV Matters podcast by Dr. Naomi Sutton. I'm absolutely delighted that Naomi's agreed to join us on HIV Matters today. So I'm mindful that I've just read your bio for the listeners and I don't think I did you justice whatsoever. I had the pleasure of working with you on a podcast, which I absolutely loved. It was part of being on the opposite side, um, and I just loved um, working with you on that. So I'm delighted that you've agreed to join us today on HIV Matters to talk about the fabulous work that you do. So just for our listeners now, I'm just wondering to give us a little bit of a context. What drew you or what got you interested in working in this area of care? So that is a very good question. So I think going right back to the start I I guess I was always made to do medicine so I always cared for everything I had several animals pets rescued pigeons worms woodlice whatever I always wanted to look after everything um and I think that still forms the basis of everything I do now um so definitely want to care for people but not so much animals because I can't talk to you I find people endlessly fascinating um, so I went to Sheffield Medical School and um, initially I actually wanted to do palliative care. So um, very much drawn to that. But because the way the training scheme happened, I sort of came across an SHO job in, it was GOM at the time, Genesis Urine Medicine, and just realised this was where I was meant to be. I just loved it. I think the reason I love it so much is that I feel it's such a privilege to be on to be somebody who people can talk to and tell people things that they probably don't tell anybody else. And I still think that's the biggest privilege that we have as healthcare professionals is people share things with us openly and honestly. And I think that's the skill of being 
a good doctor or nurse is, you know, it's not about, well, it is, you know, we've got a job to diagnose and all the rest of it, but it's about how you go about that. And people, people don't remember the diagnosis you give necessarily, but they, rem- well, no, obviously they do remember the diagnosis, you give them, but they remember the way it's delivered and who you are as a person. And you can have that human to human connection. And, and that's why I just love my job. Thank you for sharing that, and I, I think you're right. I mean, I it sounds very similar. I thought initially I would do palliative care, and at the time, HIV care, it was very palliative, but it's just like you've said, that human connections that we get to make and that enjoying human conversation yeah. um, as well. And you're right, that privileged position that we have in healthcare where we get to walk alongside people and get to be part of their, their fascinating um, stories and lives as well. It also might be a partial rebellion as well, because uh, um, in my, which I'll, I'll talk a bit about openly, because I think it's really important when you're dealing with any kind of sexual health uh, field is thinking about our own beliefs and where we came from. And, you know, at home, my mum and dad, they, I love them to death. They're brilliant parents, but we definitely didn't talk about sex openly. Um, and I think so in a way, it always feels a little bit like a rebellion because I'm on telly talking about orgasms, for example, and they're like, oh, <laughs> God. Um, and I had an interesting conversation with my dad, who's totally my hero. Um, and he said to me, he said, I'm really sorry if I let you down, you know, not being open to talk about sex at home. I was like, oh, Dad, you're not. And, and I think it's really important to remember that we're creations of our own culture and time. And so, you know, I've got children, I'm bringing them up talking about these things and I'm sure they'll grow up and if they have children they may be like god mum you were you know why did you do that so again you know it's but but I it does make me laugh because it's the total um opposite maybe to what my parents thought I would go into and for for several years my when people say oh what sort of doctor's your daughter my mum you say um something to do with the undercarriage <laughs> and uh I think people used to be a gynecologist. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's funny. I do sometimes feel it's my one piece of rebellion. <laughs> Definitely. And what a fantastic rebellion to have. And I think, again, you've touched on a really good point there. We do find, we're British, we do find it hard to talk about sex. And obviously, we're of a different generation. And I embarrass my daughter all the time talking about negotiating sex, getting yourself out of stuff. And I'm sure she is mortified all the time but again it's we're a product of where we are in time and society you just kind of mentioned then about your conversations about orgasm and are you able to share a little bit more for our listeners um, about that I really fell into it to be on the sex clinic which is a e4 program um and I think they probably sent emails and twitters and instagram messages to the every GU physician in the land looking to cast someone um and it definitely wasn't something that I ever thought I'd do or you know when at medical school they always pick who's going to be the tv doctor it definitely wasn't me um and I remember um just saying oh I'm, I think there's more politically savvy people to do this or whatever not not my bag and she said oh, no we don't want politically savvy we just want people who are, you know love their job and I was like well that's definitely me and um I remember brushing my teeth that night and mentioning to my husband saying um, so I was contacted by this uh, TV production company about doing some TV, and he was like, "Absolutely not! That's a dreadful idea." Uh, anyway, it was that sort of kernel of thought. And then I spoke to the school mums, and they were like, "No, me, that'd be fabulous. You'd be fabulous." And then spoke to my colleagues at work, and they were all really encouraging. So I just sort of followed it down. And I had to go through casting and all these other things, and you know, obviously, I got I got the got the role, um, and it was. It really has changed how I see myself, how I see how we need to consult, how I see patients. It's been totally revolutionary for me. And it's led me down a path of wanting to be a much better educated doctor with regards to sexual dysfunction and things like that. Um, And, you know, all the psychotherapy things and understanding the importance. Because I think at medical school, we're taught a very much, um, you know, you take history you give them a diagnosis and you give them something to manage it. Whereas I think actually in the field that we work in, I think it's incredibly important just to um, develop the skill of listening 
and letting people um well it's the skill of of getting those important facts out in a sensitive way and so you know I know we sort of hand a decision oh don't cry we're only saying don't cry because we're feeling uncomfortable so it's about kind of so I think so sorry I'm I'm waffling on anti so yeah so did the tv found you know I went on a journey of sort of self-exploration as well with myself and you know I had sort of strange body image issues thinking you know I'm a fat bum and all these other things what people think of me on telly and you know all these things and I think you get to a certain age where you throw those things out and think no you know what I'm I'm fine I'm I'm a I can do this and sort of so I grew a lot in confidence and then from that um I've done sort of things on Steph's Pat Lunch we did a live cycle smear test on Steph McGovern and they were nominated for a BAFTA off the back of that I was excited party yeah so I've been so I think yeah so I've done quite a lot of work with them and again talking about it's interesting what people ask you to talk about and it's not what you're taught in medical school so you know as a genuinely physician I was taught you know chlamydia is an intracellular gram-negative organism blah 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 and you know the, the symptomology of everything People don't want to know that. They want to know, well, first, you know, how did I get this, obviously, but also how how do I tell someone about this and, you know, all those things. And I think we forget as doctors we should be able to help with all those aspects, not just take a pill, bye-bye. You know, how's this going to affect your relationship? You know, are there any other sexual problems going on do you feel safe in your relationship you know what's consent like you know all these can you choose your sexual partners all these other things I think are really important that we don't get taught about um that was a very long-winded question to um talk about orgasms uh so I did that last Friday on that's good now but yeah you just really kind of just kind of reflecting as you was talking you touched on something that really links to what we had Bex Mambway talking about um, raising um, sexual pleasure in the consultation room and I think you've just kind of articulated really well there about what we're taught with our nurse training our medical training any healthcare professional training is the the bioscience around it but actually it's the skill of having those conversations like what does that mean for me in, yeah. you know and making some assumptions that people are safe within those relationships yeah. as well yeah, and, and again, I think that really takes time. And I think the most important thing for everybody, if anyone's listening thinks, God, I find this, these topics really difficult to talk about, think about why they're difficult to you, for you. Because I think we need to do a lot of soul-searching ourselves and work out why we feel strange about all these different issues. Is it lack of education from when we were a child is it our relationships ourselves you know how do we feel about our own bodies and our own sex lives and all those things because if we are awkward and embarrassed or feel we don't know what to say it comes across in the consultation and people don't then share because you know we you read a room don't you so you know that one of the biggest skills is sort of sitting there and recognizing anxiety from body language or just the way someone speaks or the way they're looking at you or, you know, any of these other range of emotions that I think is important to acknowledge. So just for a simple example, someone will come, you know, I'll call someone through for a coil fit, for example, and, you know, I'll sit them down. And and if often they're looking really anxious because they don't know what's going to be involved, and rather than me going, so blah, blah, you know, let's crack on. Acknowledging that to start with by saying, you look really anxious. And they go, yeah, I am, I'm terrified what's the biggest fear and they go I'm just really worried about the pain and then you then you've got a starting point so then I'll say well, look it's your body you're in control the vast majority of people find this uncomfortable not painful and you know then you then you've got somewhere to start so I think it's about acknowledging the patient's um agenda first before we then get going it definitely speeds everything up because their agenda will come out eventually often as they're about to leave the room door on the kind of thing so I think if you get that done first we're then on a winner that's brilliant and I think you you know saying just reflect some of the conversations we've had this series on HIV matters about meeting the people where they are you know what's your biggest 
is concerned because as you've mentioned what I think I would be worried about might not be the same as that person that's come in and to identify straight away like you say we're working with their agenda which makes makes it easier to get to the heart of the issues and, and build from there. 100%, yeah. Touching on what you mentioned before about our own personal discomfort, I'm thinking, reflecting on when I've just recently gone back into the clinical environment. A question that we sort of routinely ask was, um, have you ever had sex um, that was against your will? Or something along that lines, or have you ever been made to have sex that you didn't really want to have? And I'll be honest, by the end of the consultation, everybody that I'd asked, I must have seen about five people that day, had said yes to that question. And I, I was really shocked at my own response to that. I was just so sad that, they, and I know on a cognitive level, I know from what I've read that this happens, but it's one thing to then see it in every single person that I was seeing. So I did have to go away and think about why did that affect me and get some support with that? So I guess that's just what I wanted to share, that when we come across this, it's okay to have these, but it's about seeking that support to, to try and make sense of that. Yeah, and, and we've talked about this before, haven't we, that it's really important to look after yourself and to make sure that you're getting the support for the backup. But other than kind of, I mean, when you, so sexual assault, is sort of, it, it's a tr- very traumatic um, discussion to have with anybody, but, you know, something sort of as maybe simple as desire or orgasms or, you know, something like that. You don't have to give as much of yourself. It might be equally awkward and embarrassing. And I think a lot of the reason we don't open up those questions, those discussions is because we feel we don't have the tools and there's no answers. I think what's really good to know is there isn't any answers. And sometimes just by sharing that, you know, I mean, I know I've said this before, I said it on Sess Fat Lunch, you know, women, are, if we're talking about women, they can be very complicated and desire is complicated. And, you know, I, I know I totally generalise, but men are a bit like a microwave, press the button, someone in sexy lingerie, ping, they're ready to go. Whereas women have lots of different temperatures and knobs and need, you know, fiddling around with. And I think just sort of explaining that actually desire is really complicated and it's okay if, you know, if you feel that, desires going off the thing the simple things that you can do about it um a really good book is mind the gap by karen gurney um which i recommend anyone who even wants to discuss um desire uh, in women read um and again it, it's about just saying this is normal this is okay you know you're not broken this can be fixed these are some th- simple things to try um you know, I think just acknowledging that we all struggle. So, you know, sexual sexual uh, problems are massively common. So the NHS stats say that over half of um, older women struggle with some sexual problem of some sort, be it, you know, menopausal changes or lack of desire or anorgasmia or all those things. So I think, again, it's just saying this is OK. And is this causing a problem? And I think that's the difference. So, you know, people might be totally happy in a, you know, some stage not having sex with their partner. If that's fine, that and it's fine with the partner as well, then that's okay. We don't have to be again keeping up with the Jones, you know, we're, we're talking about sort of, you know, films and how sex is portrayed in the media. And it, it's a real false, ridiculous way that we learn. Um, and especially the the dreaded porn, <laughs> you know, where, um, and again, poor, if we're not negotiating and talking about how our bodies work and how we feel, it's, the, you know, I think it's widely accepted that two-thirds of women will not orgasm from penetrative sex, whereas if you look at porn, pretty much all heterosexual sex, women are writhing around in, you know, total ecstasy with a penis being, you know, well, what it's doing in and out, in and out, in and out. And so we're watching this going, oh God, you know, it doesn't quite work for me, but I'm now going to fake it to make this stop. Or, you know, this man thinks this is what he's supposed to be doing and this is how I'm supposed to get pleasure. So I'm going to, and then you get in this cycle of, so he thinks he's pleasing you, so carries on and then you carry on faking it. And actually, if we all just, you know, explained that 
most women need clitoral stimulation to orgasm, we'd be in a better place. But again, it's having those conversations. But again, just explaining to a woman in my clinic, if she says, I struggle to orgasm, I say, well, how, how are you trying to orgasm? Just those little simple things. And then going, well, I can't orgasm through penetration. That's normal. You know, that's most women. And then they go, oh. So, you know, I think, again, it's about knowing a few bits about what is normal and what isn't. That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that's definitely that knowing what's normal and not thinking we're broken. And I guess if the only reference point that you've got is porn, then anything beyond that is is that not, you know, I'm not acting like that. So therefore this, this mustn't be right. Yeah. It's either porn or our own sex lives or our education. And, you know, so say we went to medical school and you're taught all these different things. If you've never explored how that works for you, or, you know, you think you're abnormal, you're not. You know, so, again, it's about looking at ourselves as well and, and where we learn our information. And is this information right? And do I need to go and do a bit of reading? Brilliant. Thank you. Well, I've definitely made a note of that book. I'll be uh, having a look at that when we've stopped chatting today, Naomi. So thank you. When I was looking at your, um, obviously I've been a huge fan of your work for some time now, so I'm always amazed at all the campaigns you're involved in and all this raising awareness. It's always wonderful to see. And I think, you know, the way you do it is is brilliant. And I've definitely made my um, children watch that. Well, they're not children, all the young adults watch that. Because I think it is about giving information in a way that people want, want to receive it as well. One thing that I was looking at is um, you, you've been involved in something called the Happy Vault club i'll add a link to that in the show descriptions but i was just absolutely fascinated by it and i was just wondering if you'd be able to share a little bit more with our listeners about that please yeah so it's a lovely little group so um i was i only went on social media after the telly because they told me i had to develop some sort of somewhere people could find me otherwise they'll find you in other ways so i started an instagram account and Jodie, who runs the Happy Volve Club, contacted me and said, you know, would you be happy to come on and, you know, be part of it? And I was like, oh, yeah, anything to do with Happy Volvers. What a great name. Um, but, yeah, it's a group of people, so educators, but artists, poets, Volvo casters. You know, it, it's a great little source of information for women, for women just to look at, I think, and, you know, sieve through, find bits and bobs that you like. Um, but, again, it's just a collection of people um trying to be positive about female genitals because I think often there you know there's a lot of negative press that we pick up I think as women we pick up that oh it's smelly or you know I don't like it it's horrid um so I think it's a really positive um force of um loveliness and you know there's like yeah as I say artists poets you know very clever people on there psychotherapists physios um all that um those kind of wonderful people um another another site when I was listening that has children is uh, it's a social enterprise called outspoken sex ed um which um if you sign up to their newsletter they send it i think it's once every three months i could be wrong um but it it helps me all the time because it it's almost like an ear to the ground without you having to sit through all the press about what's going on in the world of our children growing up um, and since I've been on social media it really has been an eye-opener because you hear about all these tales of you know penis pictures and all, that's a polite way of saying it um you know penis pictures and all these other things that get sent around you're like oh it doesn't really happen I get sent them as an old lady so you know now my my children on social media I'm aware will be sent these things so I think if I hadn't been on the receiving end I'd have thought people were just making it up a little bit awful, doesn't it but you think oh maybe you you've got your boobs out and you've enticed something I definitely don't get my boobs out on social media yeah I get you know people just I think send them to lots of people awry um but yeah so that's been really educational for me to understand a little bit more about what goes on on that side of things but even if you're not on social media um, Outspoken Sex Ed is a really good ear to the ground um, newsletter and it's got really helpful hints and tips about how to open up conversations um, 
depending on what age your children are. And, you know, I am, I mean, I talk about sex all the time and I don't get it right all the time. Um, I, we were in the park once and someone had come up and was talking about the sex clinic and Toby, who was, how old is he? Uh, was, must have been three years ago now. Um, so uh, pre-double figures, I think. And he said, oh, what's a condom? And I was like, oh. I says, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll tell you later. Uh, thinking, how do I explain this? And we we talked already about, you know, the bi- biology of it and penis going into a vagina and delivering. I can't remember how I described it anyway. So we asked again before we went to bed. He said, so, Mum, tell me what it is. I says, okay, well, you know how, if, you know, people have sex for pleasure, not just to make a baby. I said, well, you have to stop the sperm eating the egg. And I said, and so one way is... Um, a on, which is a bit like a plastic bag that you put over the penis and it collects the um the seeds I think I called it I I don't know and he just looked at me in horror and he went so what my penis fires out pips I think he was thinking like apple <laughs> pips <laughs> I was like oh god no no that sounds awful I said no not pip no semen and it's it's like fluid and he was like what's why we I wet the bed I was like oh god so it was a total disaster. We were we were rolling around laughing about it and being silly because so again it's it doesn't really matter um, if you make a mistake. I think the really important thing is not to shut children down and to shame them because children aren't born with shame. You know they don't know that their genitals are not to be talked about. It's the way we talk about them or the way we say, oh, how how did you you know why why do you want to know about that? All those things then mean they won't then talk to you when they need to. Um, so, yeah, ju- just as an example to say, I am definitely by no means uh, perfect at doing this chat stuff. I still get it wrong. And I get it wrong with patients as well. Um, you know, it's about reflecting and learning and saying sorry. When you rolls it up, just saying, oh, I could have said that a bit better. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry or, you know, blame it on a Monday morning or, Thursday afternoon or anyway no that's it and I think thanks for being so open about that and I think you're right sometimes we we don't always get it right and there's this part of that that kind of that authenticity about actually we're not perfect we just we're coming from a good place and you know thanks for sharing your your conversation with Toby it dates it kind of I had a flashback of when we was in boots with Harriet and um, JLS had released some condoms I think she was (laughs) she was eight (laughs) she was eight at the time and a huge JLS and she came back with this handful of like JLS condoms and I had a really awkward um, five minutes trying to explain what condoms were <laughs> and ended up just buying the lot at the till and the guy was looking at me as if to say good weekend <laughs> you know because we just had all these condoms <laughs> and I just couldn't I couldn't articulate what they were and I was like well what do you think they are she went mints I was like well they're not mints and then I kind of went a bit weird and I thought well let's just have her anyway why can't we have all these JOS condoms in the house <laughs> Brilliant! Oh God! I hope you use those water balloons or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was just like, oh gosh, and then figured out. So yeah. So they they are. We've got a house full of JLS condoms, which are very very much out of date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, touched on this a little bit and we've, we've definitely spoken on the HIV Matters podcast about the importance of education within and sex education within the curriculum but I'm just wondering from your point of view how have you seen topics like um, sexuality, sex and HIV being taught in medical school? So I think um, HIV is probably taught fairly well um, because it's a medical thing that you can treat etc but I think things like sexuality or um, any kind of sexual dysfunction I think is definitely less well taught I I, you know it was years I definitely had pretty much I can't remember anything when I went through medical school um this I got qualified in 2003 so it's a while ago um but I know that I've been into um I've done medical school teaching from 
sort of med so people who have sort of special interests, so med sock type people who said, can you come and teach us? And so I've say taught on female sexual dysfunction, they've gone, oh my God, we all need this on the curriculum. So I still don't think it's taught very well. They will definitely have, you know, I think they have half a day of sexual health uh, placements and things, and they'll have some, but it's obviously very close to my heart. And But I appreciate that they have to fit in everything. So they have to fit in the heart, the lungs and, you know, feet and joints and all these other things that I've managed to delete my files about. Um, so, you know, I, I don't want to take over the whole curriculum talking about sex, but I would love it to be um, taught better. Again, I don't know how you fit that in with everything else that everybody has to do. Um, I definitely spend a lot of time teaching GPs um, on kind of HIV, um, sexual health, all those things. So I try and whiz in a bit of, you know, the softer things. It's like, you know, advice on lube. How, how do we ever learn which lubes to use, you know, or, you know, sex toys? You know, I I have regular conversations about sex toys. And I think that is part of our job as as doctors. I think we need to have a bit of understanding. Um so, but again, how, how do you get that on a curriculum? I think that's quite a difficult call. But I think, you know, just I will keep plugging away and banging my drum. And there is loads of resources out there. Um, there's a really good, I found it today. I was listening to a, um, a webinar from the uh, International Society of Sexual Medicine and Global Advisory Board Sexual Pleasure Training Call Toolkit. So it's EAB hyphen shw.org um and people who are interested i mean it's a really big document but it goes through ways of asking these questions or you know the ins and outs of this so i definitely recommend someone who's who's interested in enhancing their knowledge of and uh, how to ask these questions is having a look at that and and also it's about making it you has the, the the way you ask the question has to be authentically you otherwise it will sound strange so again it's in front of a mirror <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah definitely I'm just thinking about when I first started exploring some of these topics it was trying to be authentic yeah. and you know giving yourself permission to maybe not get it right but have a really good way of correcting and being honest about um, the reasons why we're talking about that because I know some people think oh I can't talk about that but actually of course Yes, we can. Yeah, and, and if we're not as sexual health professionals, who is? Uh, and I think, you know, obviously this is HIV in focus. I think we, we're the ideal people to be broaching this this topic when we see our HIV patients, for example. So, you know, we're, we're all very good at saying, when did you last have sex? We document it all the time. But when do we, ne you know, if someone says 12 months ago, when do we then explore that a bit more and say, is that by choice? You know, is this, you know, do you want to discuss any problems in your sex life? You know, just open it however you feel comfortable doing it. But I think we need to ask that next question and not just tick the box. 12 months, done. Because it doesn't answer anything. And they may be totally happy and it might be a choice. But again, I think if you don't ask that question, they don't then feel able to open that up. Um, and, you know, even if they are having regular sex, saying, you know, and it, it is is everything okay in the bedroom you know are you enjoying things is there any problems I think just you know having that and also obviously you've got to gain consent and ask are they happy to discuss that that's really important but it might be that they don't want to talk about it then but you just say well you know if you ever do have any problems and want to talk to me about this at a later date please you know don't feel you can't yeah, definitely. And I think, obviously, like you said, that permission to talk about it and also linking into what you've said um, previously, you know, for some women, it is revolutionary. You know, it's a, a proper game changer when they realise, actually, this is normal. There's not something wrong with me. Yeah. I'm not broken. This is just part of being what it means to be a woman, having this sexual relationship.
So we've, we've started to touch a little bit about um, sex education and how we teach it. And I think, you know, obviously you've, you've been a TV doctor, which is amazing. Um, and when I think about sex education, I always think about, obviously, the famous Netflix um, show. And I was an avid fan of Masters and Johnson and love anything like that. I'm just wondering how, how important do you think these shows are with regards to raising sensitive issues? Oh, God, I think massive. I think we still learn so much from these kind of programmes and they're things that you can kind of watch um, and almost uh, secretly absorb the information or kind of think about in a very non-threatening way. So, you know, definitely sex education on Netflix, it was it, it was around teenagers, but you talk about condoms, vaginismus, sexual assault there were so many issues that were broached really well done accurately done from a medical perspective but also I thought emotionally they were really cleverly sensitively done so anyone who hasn't watched it I strongly recommend um that they do um but yeah I definitely I think any form so I think social media is great tv is great books are great you know talking to your healthcare professionals great I think whatever works for you and some people will want to read a book and other people want to watch a film or whatever and I think it's just I think as long as we're gaining or getting good education and, and accurate facts I think that's really important. And I think obviously a huge fan of um, sex education they just handled like you've mentioned so many really sensitive topics so many really important topics so well because how else do people know this other than you know we live in a, a world where we've got access to loads of information but is that the the most accurate um, information. I was listening to a podcast the other day that talks about specifically about sex education, something that I didn't actually realise until I went back, that nobody kissed somebody, touched somebody without gaining consent. And I think that was a great thing to role model when I was thinking about other programmes I've watched that may or may not be there. So it was just kind of a, a well done to the team there because that was an amazing um, series. And if you look back at where we were in the 80s, 90s, you know, how far we've come with what we're allowed to show and actually how true to life we are now. You know, there's, it, there are still those films that romanticise everything and everyone looks great and there's no farting or wobbling and there's definitely no sign of condoms and everyone looks perfect and sex is amazing. Um, but, you know, there, there are many more programmes. What was that? There was a programme with Sean Bean in marriage or whatever. And they had a lovely little um, scene about, you know, they, they're putting the takeaway and they're kissing. And, and then he's like, should we go upstairs? He says, oh, I'll just check if the dishwasher's on. I mean, it's just, it, that, and that is real life. And I think it's lovely that we can now view things like that on TV that make you feel, again, make you feel normal. You know, like you're not trying to reach this elixir of something, this utopia. You hear my washing machine, sorry. Yeah, on cue, letting us know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. So um, just thinking about, are you able to share with our audience any uh, amazing projects that you've been involved in with regards to sex education? Well, so I was lucky enough to be put in touch with um, Becky um, by a medical student. Becky's the founder of a charity called You Before Two, which is um, basically all about education and children, um, mainly in schools. And um, I, I was introduced to Becky via this medical student because she said, you're both totally mental and insane and have far too much energy and you need to get together and collaborate. And we met and it's like we've, we've emerged from the same egg. She is totally yeah. fabulous. But she is uh, my yin to my yang, so she's very analytical and does all the stuff and I bring up so we together we're I think we're a pretty amazing team so we've developed these sex education materials um aimed at 13 years and plus so we've done we've made five lesson plans so far so they come with like a six minute video and then um lesson plans so penis pressures vulval vexations periods consent and a sexual health visit so very kind of basic but talking about you know we pour discharge into knickers and we show ridiculous penis sizes compared to normal and get a tape measure out and measure it and talk about penises finished growing and how long sex should be and you know kind of all the questions that we've found we get asked all the time you know why do your knickers stain if they're that old you know that because 
discharge is acidic and those kind of things that we get asked about all the time and we collected lots and lots of data from schools about what children wanted to know anyway so after a long process we've got together lesson plans powerpoints and they've been pshe accredited which took an enormous amount of work but they're available now to buy um, money all goes to the charity we didn't get paid for any of our side of things it's all just because we totally love it um so yeah anyone who has children or any school involvement please have a look we're really proud of them and we just we've just recorded another set of videos they're going to be for a slightly older age group um more on kind of contraception and things like that um so yeah watch this space they'll be coming out but yeah i think 200 pounds for five hours of lesson plans which i think is a bargain yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And it kind of feeds into what we were talking about with regards to nurse education, medical education. And, you know, it's about getting the information delivered in a way that, you know, it's the right information, it's the correct information, other than some, you know, as a nurse educator, if I'm not comfortable with a topic, how that's going to be delivered and you're just creating a whole spiral. So we'll definitely um, pop a link to those resources in the show description. And I have watched a few of the videos and they're absolutely amazing. So thank you for that. Well, also, I must say, doing the videos, it made me look up certain stats, like, you know, what is a normal amount of vaginal discharge and things like that. So actually, even just for people who have children or are working in sexual health and get asked these questions from children, they're also a good resource. They're free to watch. You can watch the videos. Um, they're totally free on the website. So, yeah, please do have a look um, because, yeah, it took a lot of work. And, and they're things that I wish I'd have known 10 years ago when I was starting out in sexual health because it makes you feel more comfortable then when you're counselling someone about, you know, normal. What Again, what is normal? No, thank you. We'll definitely be um, popping the link in the show descriptions to them. So just before we kind of round up our conversation today, because I could talk to you for hours about this subject and I love sharing this space with you, but just one thing that I'm kind of thinking about is for our listeners, if they're kind of inspired after kind of hearing our conversation or thinking about how do I raise these questions within my consultation? I'm just wondering if you've had any um, tips or anything that you could share with our listeners for raising this. Um, so, again, I think I mean, we talked about it a little bit, didn't we? I think be authentic to yourself. So, again, it, it, it's about... Um, reading the room I suppose and picking up on those signs we can all do it because we do it all with our friends so don't be don't be or don't feel wrong if you feel awkward that's a really important um feeling to recognize and sit with and go right I'm feeling awkward the patient's probably feeling the same so sometimes it's just about saying gosh this feels a bit difficult to talk about and sometimes that's enough just to break the ice. So kind of, I think it's about recognising if you're feeling weird or strange or embarrassed or anxious, the person sitting opposite you probably is as well. So sometimes it's just about acknowledging that. And then it's almost like a floodgate of going, you know, going, should we talk about this? Why is this happening? Um, and again, you know, asking the right questions. So as we said, you know, don't just leave it as when did you last have sex? Then say, you know, can I ask a bit more about that? Again, always ask permission. Um, and and I think as well, it's important to to think about sex as pleasure rather than just a physical act. So it's got to be autonomous and respectful and safe and all these other things. So I think if you can broaden that out a little bit rather than just when did a penis last go in your vagina, for example, if it's a female, absolutely female, you know, talk a little bit more about sex being something more than that you know it's an intimate act that we all enjoy um I think then again you're on the the right lines to to open up those discussions to make it feel comfortable and also GAB Global Advisory Board Sexual Pleasure Training Toolkit I think would is also probably good to look up thank you definitely we'll, we'll pop that link into the show descriptions as well so thank you for that so Naomi, are you able, we've talked about Steph's Pack Lunch, we've talked about the E4 Dots, we've talked about so many amazing things that you're involved in. Have you any 
other projects on the horizon. I think that's a full-time job as it is, because I know you still work as a sexual health doctor, but is there anything else that you can share with our audience about what you may be up to in the next couple of months? Well, I, I know um, you, you're thinking about psychotherapy training. So I did have that crazy notion that I could be a psychotherapist during COVID. I even went through and applied and then withdrew because I realised I, I have zero amount of time. But instead of that, I'm going to Budapest in November to do the European Society of Sexual Medicine course. So it's a 10-day course, which is really kind of the medical and so psychotherapists and doctors go. So it's kind of a multifaceted course about all kind of dysfunction, so male and female. And so in my in my head, what I'd love to do is bring a psychosexual clinic so with a psychotherapist and a physio and things like that to the NHS I'd love it to be available on the NHS because there's very little um there's very little ability to refer anywhere is there you have to pay so in my yeah that's my 10-year plan would be to do this course get the exam and if I can you know set up some sort of clinic in an ideal world on the NHS but I'd I'd love to develop my skills a bit more in that in that field that sounds wonderful and I'm sure I will be picking your brains about that course and uh, yeah definitely and invite you back to share more about that so so thank you so much for sharing that so this is the part of the show where I enjoy just as much as all those wonderful discussions that we've just had but it's a time where we get to know you a little bit better so I was just wondering for our listeners can you share something that you do as part of your self-care um well so I have a totally crazy dog that we adopted about 18 months ago so he drags me around the hills of Sheffield if anyone sees this totally drained old lady being dragged around by a mental dog that's me um so but I do I think exercise is really important um so yeah I run regularly or try to do as regularly as possible um and I think balance, so I work five sessions at the NHS and then the rest of the time I, you know, do this educational bits and bobs. But again, I, learning to say no, I think it's really important that I'm getting better at. Um, and I think choosing positivity. So sometimes I think, you know, we can choose to go in and think in our mindset, I love my job. And it's almost like a positive cycle. So, you know, fill your life with people who make you feel happy um you know some people I was describing as either radiators or drains um so Michelle you're a total radiator you radiate loveliness and happiness and then there's some people you meet who just drain you don't they and everyone will recognize them in your life and so I think as well it's about limiting the amount of drains in your life and filling yourself up surround yourself with radiators um, and you know, do make sure you have time to do things that make you happy, whatever that is. That's a really good reflection about kind of finding your joy and being happy with that as well. So thank you. Can you share with us a book that you've been reading? Can I share two? Of course you can, of course. <laughs> so this is a lovely one, Rachel Clark, Dear Life. Um, so it's written she's a palliative care consultant so Michelle you'll have to read this yeah. it brought me to tears and it's written so she's the similar sort of age to me so she went through medical school at the same time so a lot of the things that she talks about with regards to training really ring true to me um, but it's also about the importance of empathy that I think we almost get untaught at medical school you know we cut up bodies mm-hmm. and then we're off to lunch you know it, it we almost become desensitized so it's the importance of getting back in touch with that empathy and you know talking about death and I just it's just a lovely book and it makes me then want to, I wish I'd done palliative care although and I'm totally where I am um so that's really nice one just easy read um but really lovely and then this I love this book oh. A Curious History of Sex by Kate Liston so she's a sex historian and it is truly wonderful the total mentalness that that happened in the past with all sorts of you know people being burnt as witches for keeping penises in bird boxes and you know the story of language about you know our body bits and history of pornography and all the and I just find it fascinating and it even some of the myths and the shame and things that that 
still reside with us today can be explained by this book. So the Victorian era really did us a disservice with regards to sex. It made it all very shameful and it's about procreation and that was it. But um, it's not just from a UK perspective. She touches on other sorts of cultures, but it's a really lovely book, easy to read, and she's a total babe, Kate Mister. So, yeah, that, I really enjoyed that book. And then, obviously, the um, Mind the Gap by Karen Gurney is a really good book for anyone really who's struggling with desire um, from a female perspective because I think there's very little out there. So that's kind of, a, I guess, a self-help book, but also good for anyone who's working in, in sexual health to, to gain a bit more of an understanding. Thank you. We will definitely pop all of those books in our HIV Matters bookshop um, for you to explore. I'll be busy reading all that later. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, and finally, our magic wand question. So we always like to end the show just on a light note, but this is a big, big question. So you've touched on it a little bit, so it doesn't have to, it can be that or it could be something different. So if time, resources and money weren't an issue, what would you like to change or seem done differently? Gosh. Um I think I would just, I, if there was a magic wand, I'd love to get rid of stigma. If I could get rid of stigma and shame and everything, you know, because uh, especially with, you know, HIV, syphilis, all any kind of sexual dysfunction, they're all shrouded in this sort of shame and this stigma. So if I could get rid of anything, I would eliminate that in a go. But I think the way to do that is education. So I think realistically, really good education from a young age about pleasure and about normal and you know let's my sexual health utopia would be we all talk about it without any sort of strange weirdness but maybe that would be a boring world I don't know we'd be out of a job as well wouldn't we definitely out of a job if we if we didn't get <laughs> weird when we when sex was mentioned but yeah no definitely <laughs> I completely agree that. but yeah maybe when I die when I die that can happen because I still need to pay my mortgage off yeah, definitely definitely but no definitely a world to work towards where we, we um doesn't matter who we love or how we love would be I think yeah. I could um, I could that for sure. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, so thank you so much, uh, Naomi, for sharing your time and experiences with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh no, it was, it was my pleasure. Thank you to today's guest and to you for listening to this episode of HIV Matters. I don't know if you're anything like me and are busy writing down the lovely book suggestions made in our show. That's why HIV Matters have teamed up with bookshop.org to bring all these fantastic books to you in one unique place. To find out more about this and how to access the bookstore, please check out today's show descriptions. Today's edition of HIV Matters has been brought to you via an unrestricted educational grant from Vive Healthcare and Gilead Sciences. Gilead and Vive have had no input into guests or topics. HIV Matters is the official podcast of the National HIV Nurses Association. For more information about the National HIV Nurses Association, head over to www.nivna.org. Thanks again for listening to our show. We hope to see you next time and together we can make a difference.